weird because we're having this teacher strike and the government is shut down at the same I mean, time. Right? And I'm like, and I go to work and I'm like, you really expect me to work? But, you know, like, and I, it's funny because the, 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 when I'm with a client mm-hmm. teaching them Pilates, mm-hmm. good, I'm fine. That's fine. Yeah. I'm good. Any, anything else? Yeah. Sitting down to do emails, sitting on paperwork. I'm like, really? Our government is shut down. Really? <laughs> My kids don't have school because, really? I like, I can focus on one thing, and that is that other person in the room doing that. I can do that. Right. Everything else is just, you know, the world's crumbling down, right? No? And anybody? You know the world is crumbling down when the White House was filled with McDonald's, mm-hmm. KFC, Burger King, Wendy's. Yeah, no, he went to a lot of them. Sauce packets. Well, he knows the best sauces from the best in silver. I mean, like service trays are for all classes, Lavetta. I mean, this guy. That guy right there, dude. We really you are s- not that political on this show, but no, at some but point, come on, man. Just no class. No class. But he's like, I have the most class of any other president ever, ever, Lovetta, ever. Do you watch? Do you watch? Um... You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> no, that that has definitely no. It's a horrible entered Trump my oppression. nightmares. But that reminded me of nailed it. Do you watch Nailed It? No. Nailed It. Okay, so it's hysterical. So at first I didn't like it because I love baking shows. Uh-huh. And it's like what they do is they hire, they hire, they they get three people who are like pretty terrible bakers to, to try to Pinterest. So they look on Pinterest about what the baking thing is. And you know how like your version of your Pinterest cupcake is very different from the Pinterest oh, cupcake. Yes. They have a whole show around it. And okay. like Nicole Byer is a comedian and she hosts Oh, she's it. hilarious. She is so funny. And I finally like, I watched it again and I was like, if you don't look at it as a baking show, if you look at it as a comedy show, it's fucking hysterical. So there is an episode that I saw last night uh-huh. where one of they had to do the big like, $10,000 reward goes to the person who can recreate the best Donald Trump cake. <laughs> and they just kept saying, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And you know, I'm like, the orange man, that crazy guy in the chair that shouldn't be there. Okay, um, a quick question. Uh-huh. What is a Donald Trump cake? It is a cake, Lavetta, with Donald Trump sitting at a desk, <laughs> wearing a tie, with that like obnoxious face of his, so it's not just there. of his head, but is it? It's like his head, and there's a tie. There's like the top of his suit. Oh, okay, gotcha. This is gotcha. a complicated cake. It's like a bust cake of yes. Donald Trump. Okay. Yes, gotcha. Yes. So and how presidential? <laughs> how presidential? What's really funny to me is that one guy was like, "Whatever, who cares?" But then there's two women. One woman is like. What the fuck? That motherfucker who shouldn't be in this office. You know, she was like, I hate yeah. that man, but I need $10,000. Right? right. Well, yeah, $10,000 a lot of money. And then this other woman is from Argentina and is like, well, I voted for Trump, but I don't know how to make a cake. And I'm like, oh, these. First, I was like, what the fuck? And how like, ironic. No, the producers did this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would totally do that if I was the producer. Right? Why yeah. not? It's good TV. It's good TV, yeah. but I really like, I appreciate it. It's not a political show at all, but watching these terrible, like this woman 
who voted for Trump was on a show that was clearly out to mock him because <laughs> it's not like these were real these were at all decent people who probably couldn't bake chocolate chip cookies following a recipe right right like a pre-cooked chocolate chip cookies can't even right? so they purposefully find people, people who are who terrible cannot, oh okay cannot okay bake. oh my god this sounds hysterical so she's on the show like she's part of the zeitgeist of a time where people have no respect for the president right and and it's following suit and so the woman who hates trump i'm gonna make sal watch it later I swear to God, she made Gollum oh, <laughs> with like red eyes. Oh my God. And she's like, and Nicole like, It looks like Gollum. I mean, yeah, it looks like Gollum. Oh like, my God, I, I gotta mean, see this. I mean, you have to see this it. This is hilarious. It's like season one, episode six or something. And, and the woman who like voted for, she actually ended up winning. But it was funny because as they were like, you know she's she's like shoving his head in the pole so it would stay and she's like i'm trying to be gentle i have to show respect and the woman who hates she's like shove it in (laughs) it was the best it was the best so wait a minute the woman who's from argentina who voted for him Uh won the competition yeah okay so spoiler alert which is interesting because they basically had her mock the guy that she voted for yes! in order to win the ten thousand yes! dollars. Take that blood buddy. Take it. It's genius. <laughs> it's so good. Those producers are so evil. Oh They're so God. petty. They I really, love it. I know. They really are. And they don't even hide it. And I, I love it. Really love it. Love appreciate it. it. Thank you. Oh my God. You know, before we get started, I actually have to apologize to our listeners for our last two episodes. There was a really weird like sound thing that was going on. And I think it was my headset. Oh, it's Loretta's fault. Yeah, it's totally my fault. I, I, I take blame. I'm going to take the blame. Oh, anyway. my God. No, he's uh, never said that. <laughs> that doesn't work. Because, I'm going to take the blame. Nope, not out of his uh, mouth. <laughs> but I do, I apologize because when I was listening back to it, editing it, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, it's so annoying. So I hope, because I really loved our last two episodes, so I'm hoping you guys were able to get through it without too much of like, oh my God. Didn't lose your minds. Yeah, it's not happening this week. I can hear it now. Uh, Usually pretty good on this, you know, on the mic. And I heard it the last two weeks, but I don't know how you think. I don't know. I I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. And so when I went to listen to it back, I was like, oh, so I should have paid attention. So I think sometimes when you're listening to it as you're recording, it's not so aggressive. And then when you were listening to it again, Oh, when Sal and I did web series and things, these things seemed fine. Yeah. And then you'd hear it back and it was like, oh, that tiny little nothing is this huge thing. Yeah. When you edit. And I tried to get rid of it, but I couldn't because it was just so like, because it happened every time I spoke. <laughs> just, so just listen uh, to me, it. you guys. Just listen to me talk. Yeah, that's it's a fine. Shh, Lavetta. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get started? Let's get started. Well, I think this week you're first. All right. So, so, who is your notorious woman this week, Miriam? Speaking of the world zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. um, I could not this week think of anyone else to talk about. Okay. Despite the billions of options for the incredible possibilities that women have brought to this world. Yes. Born October 9th. 1984 in Tokyo, Japan. Ooh, Tokyo. 
1984 Tokyo, Japan. Any guesses as to who I'm going to talk about and who I've been obsessing about over the past week? Any guesses? Uh, no. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Oh my God, you've not heard of her? No. Levetta, I'm going to show you my sock drawer before we leave. Okay, Marie Kondo. Girl, I have, not, I have not gone to sleep before 1 a.m. because of her oh, the past five nights. Tell me. I'm out of the loop. It sounds more sexual than it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marie Kondo. Okay. Really not that interesting. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think who this is. Oh, no, my no. God. This is so exciting that you don't know who it this is. It is. I don't think like, I know who this to is. To a point where I was like, I wonder if Lavetta's going to talk about her, too. Oh, she's in Japan. It was a good chance I well, might talk about her. Right? right? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing with Marie Kondo. We don't know too much about her. Okay. I don't have that much information. I did try. It seems to me that she had a decent childhood. Okay. Um. No one on the internet will tell me otherwise. No, usually Japanese children have very good childhoods. Yeah, and I've seen like yeah. the, the, the food they eat in school yeah. is so well-balanced, intelligent, and fresh. It's a very it kid-friendly country. And it doesn't cost more than the bullshit we're giving our children. Right. But that's a rant for another day. <laughs> um, so in junior, it says it's in junior school. So I, I, don't, I don't know if it's elementary or junior high. or like Oh, yeah, maybe middle school. A child, yeah. 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 She ran into the classroom to tidy up bookshelves while her classmates were playing in, in, in PE class, physical education. Uh, for all class jobs that were available, like class president, class treasurer, she wanted to be book manager to continue tidying up those books. Aww. She says she experienced a breakthrough in organizing one day. Quote, I was obsessed with what I could throw away. One day, I had kind of a nervous breakdown and fainted. I was unconscious for two hours. When I came to, I heard a mysterious voice, like some god of tidying, telling me to look at my things more closely. And I realized my mistake. I was only looking for things to throw out. What I should be doing is finding the things I wanted to keep. God, right? God of tidying? God I'm of, sorry to interrupt god, you, but yeah, okay. God I think of, I know who this is now. You know who this I think is now. slowly. Mm, but tell me more. Yeah, I'm going to tell you more. Oh my God, she's changed my life. Okay. Lavetta, we're going to open that drawer next to you and see the gorgeousness. That... Okay. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> she wrote, what I should be doing is finding the things I want to keep, identifying the things that make you happy. That is the work of tidying. She spent five years as an attendant maiden, maiden at a Shinto shrine. She founded her organization. Her organization, consulting business, her oh, no, blah blah blah. It was, it was, you can do it. You can do it. I can. I just have to believe. believe. Um, her organizing consulting business when she was nineteen and a sociology student at Tokyo Women's Christian University. So she founded her business when she was nineteen years old. That's very Japanese of her. But I mean, her method is known as the Kanmari method. Kanmari? Kanmari. K-O-N-M-A-R-I. Kanmari. So it's a, a play Kanmari? on her name, Kanmari. basically. Okay. Oh, okay. Kanmari method. Okay. Essentially, you gather all of your belongings, one category at a time, and keeping only the things that spark joy. Yeah, I know who this is. Mm -hmm. So there's a Netflix series that just mm -hmm. came out. Did you see this? No, I, I just heard about the oh, fallout. Girl, there's so much fallout. Yeah. I mean... And I've read the arguments. I've read the pros and the cons. Uh huh. Girl, I've read everything. I because you were obsessed. 
I'm obsessed. Okay. Like, I literally, I was like, who am I going to, I'm going to do Marie Kondo. Um, but I do think she is, is interest. She's, it's interesting that she is making such a splash mm -hmm. because I can talk about it more later, but her idea is that we don't have so much bullshit. Right. We live in right. such a capitalist society that encourages bullshit. Mm -hmm. So much bullshit. And like, I mean, it, it, to, it, the fact is, uh -huh. It doesn't bring you joy. Like when you look at it, when you pare it down, right. so much of that is not joyous. Right. It's a very Japanese way of looking at things. And there. she says that, yeah. that it's like that she is a, a, that, hold on, where is it? Um, they also have very small uh, living spaces. So a lot of yeah. times they have to maximize their storage Right, in their which, space. Is, which is the thing that I've always had very small. In yes, spaces I know as you well. and me both, sister. Um, so there's something there's something that I'm that I what I like about her method. So wait, I'll go on with okay. her, and then I'll tell you why I love her. Um, you choose a place for everything, and you keep it that way. So you separate things into boxes, and every so even like if it's all in your drawer, you have pencils, rulers, and sharpeners. The pencils will have a box, the rulers will have a box, like a tiny cheap box, like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you fold differently, so you're folding sort of upright, so that oh, you can see the all Japanese of your and their folding is a. It is. It is a vision of beauty. It is gorgeous. It really is. Um, and she says that her method is partly inspired by the traditional Japanese Shinto folk religion. So cleaning and organizing things properly can be a spiritual practice mm -hmm. in Shintoism, which is concerned with energy or divine spirit of things and the right way to live. And it's funny because this year I became certified in Reiki. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Level one. Okay. If you need a little Reiki. All right, sister. I think the rule for level one is you <laughs> cannot pay me. <laughs> My friend, she's like, oh, I don't even give you. I was like, no, you may not. <laughs> there are rules about this. Also, I'm only level one. I don't really know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> but but I, there's something about of energy. I've been sort of yes. attracted to finding... Like this year, before I Sal left town for five days and I pressed play on this documentary, <laughs> you look at all my shit and go, I don't need any of this. Um, but Lavetta, you're looking around, right? You're like, but you need all of it. I was going to say, you haven't... I was like, because when you have children, you need a lot more well, than you would normally need. Here's the thing. I'll get back to her in a second. Here's the thing. I'm talking about me. <laughs> you don't have a, what do you mean? I don't have. All your stuff is children a lot of it is Most, children related or a shit ton of books yeah which is children related and no no look at our books i mean those are not children's books listen the kids will read it one day that's i'm just saying <laughs> when they're i'm trying to help you out when girl they're 20. <laughs> <laughs> when they're 33 <laughs> um but what it is is that it like her, there's a whole backlash on her theory of oh, books. Oh, about the books, yeah. That you that shouldn't was have thing. more than 30 books. But she has responded since that you can have, if each of those extra books bring you joy, if they truly bring you joy, you may yes. keep them. What if you That is books? fine, strange American. <laughs> um, weird. This house you live in is so fascinating. Yeah. Why do you need all this space? Although I have to say that, like, I grew up in a big house, mm -hmm. um, but 
what I miss is a backyard. I actually yes. feel like my house is is fine yeah. in terms of like what we need. We have everything. When they're older, I'd, I'd like a separate room, but it could be like right there. Yeah. And then we'd yeah, be yeah, fine. Yeah. I don't yeah. need like, I don't need room for a ton more, st- more stuff. I don't, yeah. you know. Um, but, and I, ins- there's something very addicting about getting your shit together. Yes. And, yes. and she says that, that she actually loves a messy house because it, fills her with opportunity yeah. and possibility. Purging is very satisfying. It's very satisfying. Yes. I am now really good friends with Goodwill down the street. <laughs> They're like, ma'am. And I'm like, hi. Who wants some toys for a two-year-old? You can what? also give your stuff to the uh, the LGBTQIA community in uh, Hollywood. What? Oh, I um, could do that. Because they actually, because Goodwill resells it, and Goodwill is a good charity, but yeah. uh, with this... Uh, organization they help a lot of the kids who are on the street they can come in take oh. a shower and they have uh, places where they can get clothing shoes oh and shit. they can go in Should and get yeah them. actually someone told me well, that recently and like, i was like i like love that plates and cups and yep. children's toys like yep. help them? i would call before though actually to make sure with the the plates and stuff but like um definitely clothes shoes uh coats you know all of that stuff. That ship sailed. But yeah, Lavetta, when you in come, the future. Mari, your house. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So here's the thing that a bunch of my friends, like I have like a mom friend text uh-huh. chain, right? Oh, okay. And two of them were like talking about it and they're figuring out how they're going to do it and how the hell are they going to convince their husbands to come home and clean out their closet and fold it in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was like, eh, no, my place is fine or whatever. And then I watched the show. Mm-hmm. Lavetta, I dare you to watch one episode and see if you're not at least going to change your sock drawer. Because it's... I love uh, organizing stuff. I just, I have, a, I have so much going on, other stuff that I have to get done that I'm not going to watch this well, because yeah, I know I will become obsessed. Then don't turn it on. Don't and then like, like yeah. My, my option, my, like, you know, you have options. My option that I chose was to just not sleep. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this was, I watched So you it. binged, huh? Oh my God. No, no, I cleaned. Like I watched like an episode. My husband leaves town for five days. It is me and my two five-year-olds. And so here's what it is. You're supposed to sit and you, it's four categories. Okay. Um, let's see if I can remember them because I did not write it down. First is clothing, mm-hmm. then it's uh, books, then papers, and then something she calls kimono, which is your kitchen. It's basically miscellaneous, like your plates in the kitchen. You go through your food to see if anything is is uh, oh, like expired or, yeah, or okay. you know. Um, and then the last thing is um, oh, what's the word? Sentimental items. Okay. Um, which I understand why that's the last thing. Yeah. Because you're like, no, it's mine. I wouldn't and use you're... this old shirt that I can probably never fit in and has mm-hmm. holes in it, but it's mine. But it's mine. And maybe one day I'll get really ill and get so sickly that I'll fit into it again. Maybe. You know, dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am actually not at all doing what she tells you to do. Uh-huh. I understand what she's telling you to do and I get why. But, like, I couldn't take all the clothes out because, you know, and she says get your kids involved. 
She says the whole once you're three, the whole family can decide what sparks joy. Okay. So my trick, this is a little friendly advice. Anyone listening is also obsessed. It is so I was like, and she, I saw like two episodes Friday night after I redid. I was just Thursday night, like let me make my life harder and stay <laughs> up much much later and clean shit. And the house is not like disorderly. No, not at all. No, it's I'm nice. Looking around, yeah. yeah. But like, you remember that area over there? You can't see it, world, but Levatican, um, where my one kid has his like little office. Uh huh. Oh. It had exploded with like papers. His little office. And yeah, no, it's cute. It's, it's so really cute. cute. I wish I had an office. I do too. When I was like four. I know, right? I give my children <laughs> my so briefcase. much. My little briefcase. Oh my god, no, he does. He he has to work too. Oh, he goes to work there. So like when he has when he has like screen time, like iPad time, yeah. He like goes there and like plays. It's really cute. Um, but like he just had it exploded. He took all his toys there, everything. Oh yeah. And so Saturday morning, I was like, I was just gonna kind of clean it up, but Joe was like, well, Marie Kondo is pretty convinced that five is definitely old enough to go through all of your shit and decides. Decide for yourself what sparks joy. So I just picked up a random paper and I was like, buddy, does does this spark joy in your heart? Okay, Miriam, let me <laughs> stop you there. You did not ask this baby, oh, oh, does this did. spark joy? Mm-hmm. Okay. I did. What did he say? He said, no. Oh. I was like, what the fuck? Can I you didn't say me? that out loud. But... And then I, and then something else did, and then something else did, and then I think he noticed that I was throwing things in a big bag that was probably not going to be seen again. So a couple of, so then I would start saying, "Does this spark joy?" Oh, manipulation! Uh-huh. And he'd be like, "Yes," because he's smart. He's <laughs> a very catch on smart quick. human. <laughs> yeah. And then every so often, I'd be like, "Well, you can't keep all of these crumpled papers you seem to love so much." My kids do. They like take papers, they draw, they crumple them to shreds, That's and then true. they love them. Yeah, they love them so much. It's a weird. But then I was able to like. Like the stuff that's like real bullshit, like mm-hmm. real bullshit. I just like threw in the bag quickly, and then with the other hand, been like, "Does this spark joy?" Like, take the things that you're willing to keep, ask them if it sparks joy, mm-hmm. and then when they're looking at the thing that they're deciding if it sparks joy, with your other hand, just shove into the bag, shove, shove, <laughs> shove, fast as you can. And I'm telling you, Levetta, that first day, they three hours they helped me, like help, let's air quote yeah, yeah, help, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. And my one kid finally like. Figured out what's going on. I was like, Mommy, I'm sad. I'm uh-huh. like, what are you sad, bud? And he, I knew why he was sad. And he was like, man, you're throwing out all of our stuff. I'm like, no, that's not what's <laughs> happening. What? Not a, no. You know what we did is we found all your toys. Now you have access to them. Isn't that exciting? Anytime you want one of those crap toys, I put them in that box. Those crap toys go in that red box. And right. those crap toys go in that green box. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Um, I didn't say the word crap. Crap, of course not. No. Yeah, but kids. So Marie Kondo uh-huh. is teaching you to uh, scar your children for yeah, life. Yeah, oh, okay. Like in a okay. good way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> is that what she? So what's the backlash that came? So she said so you only need thirty there's books. There's a backlash. The, from what I read, the backlash is you only need thirty books. Which she responded, like you, like I think it's, 
I think when you become a guru, mm-hmm. and she is definitely putting herself as like the guru, she thinks she sees that she is a brand. Mm-hmm. I've read she only wears white because mm-hmm. that is part of her brand because it appears very neat and tidy. It's interesting because in Japanese culture, white is the color of death. Oh, you wear it to funerals. Crazy. Which is really interesting. That is really interesting. <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, I could be mis. No, it's right. Yeah. I mean, you would know. No, white is the color yeah. of death. So she also has two children, a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and oh. it's the size of my pinky finger. So I'm not oh, really yeah. sure how she pulled that off. Uh, not eating American beef. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. Uh, I'm sticking to a Japanese, a traditional Japanese uh, oh. diet. Oh. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is delicious. I love Japanese. So food. an occasional Japanese meal is not cutting it for me. I hear, I hear, no, oh I hear God, what you're so saying, good. but it's delicious. So I know. Delicious. I would move to. Japan. She's staying away from the ramen. I tell you that much. I was the ramen say, is like, fattening. Ramen is not. Yeah. Is not the slimming down food that I was hoping it. She would probably be. just doesn't have the pork one or something. But well, she yeah. has. She probably has seven bites. And yeah. She's good. <laughs> she has what sparks joy, and then she's good now. Um, yeah. I mean, whenever you come out. And say that, I mean, because basically what she's describing is what traditionally in American culture we've done as spring cleaning. Yes, which my husband's like, oh, you're spring cleaning early. I'm like, I'm a reconduing. <laughs> so <it's laughs> like, I'm not just spring cleaning. Now, how now often does she have to do this? Now, the idea, mm-hmm. I'm doing this wrong, so I don't know if this idea is going to work for me. But the idea, and people have said it definitely works, is that once you do it, mm-hmm. you're done. You oh. know where everything goes okay. and you just follow that life. And it actually has made me feel like I'm on a high. Mm-hmm. I know that's crazy because if you look at my house, it looks exactly the same. But it looks a little bit more minimalist, which is also a yeah. very Japanese thing. So when, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a very Japanese way of looking but it's at like things. What, but... but it makes me feel, for example, our mail would be like on top of that thing under the tv so you right. could always every time you're watching tv you see the, all the mail i need to go yeah, through yeah, yeah. so that causes stress yes it does i i went to bed bath and beyond she doesn't believe in purchasing more things she says get an old shoe box get a this get a that okay. but i was like i've run out of old shoe boxes yeah um so i got a, a thing where you can put mail on top of it yeah and then you can hook like my kids backpacks and some right, sweater right and and it's so the mail goes there and it's only been like three days, but I don't want to see, look at the mail in my yeah. face. So I have dealt with it. I found, I found money. <laughs> going oh yeah, you always stuff. find money. I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. I found, well, I guess I knew that where their birth certificates were, but I'm like, no, but that's where they are. That's, you know, good to know. It's good to know where your passport is too. Um, I thought I'd lost mine. Yeah. Because I... I put it away to right, keep very it for safekeeping, yeah, and then no, exactly. I forgot where I put it. Yeah, yeah so That's, I found it. That, I, do, I do that like every other year. There's yeah. a we both are like, where are our passports? I know. We put it away somewhere safe. I know. What does safe mean to me two years ago? So, but I have a question about her. So, how did she get to the attention of the people at Netflix in order to get her own? Well, she series. wrote a book. She wrote one book. I think it was 2013. Okay. Um, called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, dot, dot, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. Okay. Uh, the, she then wrote a book, which was a, a follow-up. I couldn't get the American trans- uh, the English translation, but the Japanese words looked exactly the same except for part two. 
Oh, so, okay. Right. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm common, you know, yeah. using my brain place to figure Part that out. <laughs> Your brain place? Um, it's, it's right on here. It's, it's, it's near my eyes. Um, and then she wrote the illustrated guide to the life-changing magic of tidying up and the life-changing manga of tidying up a magical story. Oh, okay. So she wrote these books and they were out there. I actually remember a friend of mine, Kate, uh, we lived near each other like four years ago. Mm-hmm. And she was, I remember she was saying she was thinking of becoming an organizer. Oh. And she was like, oh, it's a specific, she, the specific type of organizer. Yeah. Um, and I remember she said, yeah, you take all your clothes and put it on your bed and I was like, no, no, I can't get rid of my stuff. I love my, I remember feeling this yeah. feeling of like, yeah. no. And she's like, well, you keep what only brings you joy. Like, I swear yeah. to God, we had this conversation. And um, and I was like, but what if everything brings me joy? How will I get rid of stuff? And I remember thinking like, not everything gives me joy. I don't know if I could handle this. Right. <laughs> giving it away. But what Marie Kondo does brilliantly and what I think she, what her, what triggered in me my ability and sort of need to reorganize my life is her tenet of gratefulness. Okay. Because I have some stuff, some clothes, some items where I just felt like I can't get rid of it. Like guilt and like, oh, this person gave it to me. Or one thing I actually just bought because it was like on sale and I thought it would look good. And every time I put it on, I just, feel like I don't look good and I'm 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 right. I yeah, don't probably take it back. Right. Well it was like a, a it was one of those sales oh, where you can't yeah, yeah, return yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, well what do I do? Mm, and I was just like just keep it so you don't feel bad. But what she says is you you say you literally now I do not do this with every like personally mm-hmm. I am not touching every single thing again like with my children's stuff shove shoved was this this bad job not with your stuff nothing happened here yeah I can dump their shit easily <laughs> I did you know it's funny because I I did that to them and so that night after bedtime I went to my stuff the stuff uh-huh. that I love and I got rid of a lot of stuff because oh. I was like well if I if I'm doing that to them then I can do that. Yeah. To me too. Um, but you say thank you to mm-hmm. the item. Oh, you great. say thank you for teaching me that I should not haphazardly purchase something to feed something empty inside. Like, why do you right. make those, you know, quick purchases? Like, yeah. what is what? What do you, you know? Like, what is your end goal? Your end goal? You feel like, oh, if I if I buy this sweater, I'll just feel better about everything in life. Right. You know? So thank you for teaching me that I'm worth more and that when I purchase something, I should take my time. If I can't afford it, then you can get it later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to honor myself in that way. And yeah. I just throw it in the thing. And then, you know, and so I, there are things that I've been keeping that I feel like, oh, I did buy. I, oh, I should. There was a time I really maybe shouldn't have spent the money, but I did. Yeah. So, you know what? Thank you for teaching me that I have to be more respectful and more responsible mm-hmm. when I shop. Yeah. And I'm not like a hoarder. I'm not. I'm really no, not. No, no, no. You're not a hoarder. But, but it's good to clear stuff out because also it's, it just reminds me of, you know, all these lessons are universal and timeless. It reminds yeah. me of like there's a metaphysical teaching I used to listen to Carolyn Mace. <clears throat> Who's that? Uh, Carolyn Mace is a, oh God, what is her proper title? But she's like a, I think she's a PhD. Uh, she's like one of those spiritual metaphysical teachers. Okay. But hers is uh, medical usually. And she, but she talks about like 
she wrote a book several years ago called like, um, she's the one when people say the dark night of the soul, a lot of times they're referring to, she uses that term a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, or maybe that I've came from that. Renee Brown. I don't know, but she's one among those type of, uh, yeah. but hers a lot of times is, um, you know, medical, medical, like what's going on in your life. A lot of times it's, uh, it's like a archetypes, different, uh, personality archetypes that are playing out in your life or what have you. But anyway, I feel like to say is that, I yeah, would, I yeah. Enjoy like that I used lot. to be really into that and her and, and Louise Hay, uh, may yeah. she rest in peace. And I love Marianne Williamson, <clears throat> uh, who used, uh, who teaches a course in miracles. Uh, but, um, Carolyn Mace would talk about, I think it was Carolyn Mace. She talked about, you know, it's good to clear out stuff or maybe it was Marianne Williamson. One of them was saying that, you know, we have a lot of options. I know you have a lot this. of options. Basically, if you make room in your life for stuff you don't really need that doesn't excite you, then you make you're making space for the stuff to come into your life. Yes. To do that. And so, that's yes. I mean, that's how I felt. I mean, I didn't verbalize it that way in right. my brain. But now that you said that, that's how I felt getting rid of this stuff. That's yeah. how I felt like. It's okay that that shelf is empty right now. Yeah. You know, it's okay that because I'm gonna fill it with something that does bring me joy. Right. Like you know it, and but then there are people out there. I I'm gonna play devil's advocate that who like who say that even though their desk is messy, they know where everything is. That one of the when I was when I was like again I don't know much about her life, so I read a lot about like the KonMari method and how people are responding to yeah. it. And and someone I. I should have written her name down. She's written a bunch of books on happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, And her response to the KonMari method is there are some good things to be gained by this and some good ways of thinking, but not every person. And it's important to know this needs uh, that kind of a breakdown. But I do think there's something universally truthful about Hoarding things from the past that don't make you feel good is just unhealthy. Yeah, just spiritually and psychically. Like if like you it's are holding to... on to that, yeah, and that doesn't make you feel good. Yeah, it's 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 it can be detrimental. Yeah, I mean everybody's different, and I think one size doesn't fit all. Like that's one thing I learned when I I spent so many years uh, studying like metaphysics and and because I was a big Carolyn Mace fan for a long time, and then. You know, I felt like I got to the limit of it, and then I, I listened and I studied Abraham, uh, oh, Jerry, yeah. and Esther Hicks, and yeah. then uh, Abraham, and then I got to what wasn't serving me anymore. So then you move on to different things, but I think they all have value um, if it makes you feel lighter, if it makes you feel yeah. more productive. You know, if it makes you feel like it's not, it's not there to weigh you down, right? Because if you start Which to have is, guilt around it, then it's time for you to move on to something else. Yeah, and, yeah. but that's what I like about about the gratitude. The gratitude part was the thing that like, that yeah. was the light bulb for me because I I like organizing things. Yeah. Like I do. So it works for you. And so it this, works for me. The Kamadi? Kamadi Kam- method yeah. works for you. So, and yeah. I do love that she was 19. The dog fights are right outside. The dog fight. No, I think they're like playing. Yes, they're like, they're playing. hey, how you doing, buddy? What's they're, up? We have two What's dogs up? in our building that are like buddies. Yeah. And one's on the first floor and one's on the third floor. And they like talk to each other. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Aww. It's very cute. Um, But mm-hmm. yeah, so the, I I think at 19, she started her own business. Yeah. She lives in Los Angeles now with her oh. husband and two babies. And she's just like such a gentle, kind 
So you know she's like a badass bitch. Oh, you yeah, know yeah, she's yeah. like, these motherfuckers need to clean out their shit. Stop <laughs> buying some bullshit. You know, like, yeah. but she's just very sweet and light and is about to own the world. Yeah. And I just, I'm fascinated by her because she just had this thing in her that that she felt, yeah. you know, and that's the thing is, you know, I think that the people who have followed her, it seems, have become very grateful for it. Yeah. And if their lives them, then feel for them. better. It helps me, actually. It, it made me question how I function during the day. Oh, yeah. And I've actually reorganized how my bags are. No, having being organized in general, like on just on a basic level, it may not be as, you know, yeah. as detailed as what she's getting into. But I, for me, it, it's helpful. But again, then again, there's other people who are like, I like a messy desk because it, you know, inside it forces me to organize things. Sure. Yeah, who exactly. Knows, if, that, if that like works for you. But if it's you're hiding, like again, like so many things, like, well, I like a little like cute clutter here and there. Yeah. But I like opened, like I just like, let's, okay, I might keep all of it. And that's the thing too. If it brings you joy, keep it. Keep it, it yeah. That's fine. Yeah. And she's very, like, it's funny because a lot of the, in the show, a lot of these, because I still have boxes of stuff from my parents' house mm-hmm. that I actually already like gone through sort of painstakingly. Yeah, yeah. And wanted to keep. And I'm sure if I dumped it out, I could like get rid of stuff. But it really what like it really did pick up everything because it was like stuff from like high school and right like, right and you know like I kept about seven medium sized boxes yeah I think that's a reasonable amount yeah of that's stuff. reasonable and I mean I should have invested in uh, storage space uh, storage companies uh, back in the nineties right. I'd be a right. millionaire oh my God. multi-millionaire Ta-da. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> be so rude we'd be sitting in our pristine studio oh girl we designed yes we designed and oprah would be in that chair oh i don't know if we get that lucky no uh, everything else makes sense to you (laughs) no i mean it's all fantasy we didn't actually invest in storage almighty oh i don't know (laughs) uh so what's her name again Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo. Thank you for sharing Marie Kondo and KonMari is her method. KonMari method. She's got a series on Netflix that everybody but Lavetta knows about. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) I'm too busy watching Bandersnatch. I do not know what you just said. Oh, that's the the Netflix Black Mirror movie. It's Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, yeah. Sal is watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am not. I'm actively not watching it. Well, there's too much to watch. There's I mean, a lot of stuff. I, I a lot mean, of good stuff, though. I mean, it's such a brilliant show, but there's there's so much trauma involved. Can I just watch a show that, like, lightens me up a little? I know. I'm with you. I'm all about the comedies these days. So. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I mean, impeach the motherfucker, and then, you know, maybe we'll talk. But yeah, but... Until then... I know. Who's baking for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with us uh, this week on Notorious Women. Um, now, my Notorious Woman... Because I've been thinking a lot about um, treason, uh, espionage, uh, Russia. Russia. Um, So I wanted to. This this is from total left field, (laughs) Lovetta. What do these words even mean? I know, I I know. So my notorious woman uh, this week is Ethel Rosenberg. Okay. Do you know who Ethel Rosenberg is? No. Okay. So now a lot of my sources, a lot of my stuff came from Wikipedia, of course, Dodate, 
if you can. Yeah, Wikipedia. Uh, give them at least three dollars. Um, at Wikipedia, Jewish Women Archives, and the Rosenberg Fund for Children. So a lot of it came mainly okay. from them and other places. I know who you're talking about now. Okay. Yep. So Esther Ethel Greenglass was born on September 28th, <gasps> 1915. Yeah. Now, one source said 19, uh, September 25th, but that was the only source that you said sure that. You sure it wasn't so. 26th? It no, was it's 28th. So, probably the 26th. Um, 1915 in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, New York City. To Barney Greenglass and Tessie uh, Fate Feet, Tessie Feet F E I T Greenglass. Fate. Yeah, I don't have a clue. She <laughs> was the, now Ethel was the oldest of her parents' three children together, but the second oldest of her father's children. Uh, the two-room cold water tenement apartment where she lived with her parents her, and her her father's eight-year-old son Sammy from his first marriage, okay. and her two younger brothers uh, Bernard and David was located on Sheriff Street half a block from the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's not a great area. No, it wasn't back then. Yeah, and, it's still um, not great. Yeah. Barney, I well, mean, no, uh, Williamsburg now is all yeah, hipster it's heaven. It's like cute, but yeah. I don't want to live there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Barney uh, Greenglass, her father, was an immigrant from Russia, and he had a sewing machine repair shop in the front room of their apartment. Tessie, her mom, according to Rosenberg's biographer, Eileen Philipson, was a dour, embittered woman who inexplicably resented her only daughter. Why? Ethel would, would maintain a troubled and conflict-written relationship with her mother throughout her life. No one really knows. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, by all account, they should have banded together. The only women in the house. I mean, right? You got I mean, each other, dude. It's yeah. a lot of testosterone to contend with. You know, I think sometimes mothers look at their daughters almost as they can, it can go where they are envious of their daughters that their daughters get to live a more progressive life than they were because and they're angry about it but it's like right and versus being happy about it right i mean like, fathers do the same thing with their sons like they are that's what that whole movie and play fences is about that denzel's character doesn't really want his son to play uh baseball because he didn't have a chance he was kept out of the league right. so he's like um and he's a little bit envious it. that his son might be because the, the wife says you know, things are changing, you know, segregation is not so bad. And, you know, and, and like, let, let him live his Yeah. And the father's uh, uh, a bit bitter about that. So I think that's probably more common than people would like to admit. I think so. Particularly yeah. back in the day when life was a lot harder. Life would be very hard in 1915 in Lower East Side. Oh, my God. The hard, I mean, the hardest for immigrants, you know, and for poor people. So uh, by all accounts, growing up, uh, Ethel was a very bright uh, young woman, proving a more diligent and successful student than her brothers. Yes, at, girl. <laughs> Show them what's Seward, up. Yeah, that's right. At Seward Park High School, although at Seward Park High School, although she and often um, reticent, she showed early promise as an actor and starred in several school theatrical productions. By the time she graduated in 1931. All right. Yeah. Uh, with her eyes on broader horizons in the Lower East Side, she opted for all college preparatory courses rather than the secretarial curriculum of most of the other female students. You know, it's really interesting. I remember in high school seeing next to your classes, mm -hmm. there was either a CP or an AP. Mm -hmm. So it was either college prep yep. or advanced placement. Right. And I remember being like, isn't everything college prep? Like, right? No. 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 They train some kids to be yeah, worker bees. I yep. get it. I get it. Yep. 
And now she graduated at 16. So she was born yeah, in early. 15 and she graduated in 31. Yeah, I did the math So she's very quick. smart. I just want and, credit for knowing that. But back then, young ladies were expected to become secretaries if they were going to work well, at all. Well, if they're not getting married right now. Yeah. And that's actually an upgrade from being working in a factory. True. True. So she comes from a poor immigrant yeah. family. So that's actually an upgrade. But she's like, no, I want to be a star, darling, on Broadway. <laughs> I relate relate to her, Lavetta. Yes, I thought you would. Mm. Um, Now, um, when she graduated, uh, it was at the beginning of the Depression. 31. Yeah, that's right. So she uh, decided to go to work to assist with the family expenses. Because when you come from a poor family, you got to go to work. You got to start contributing, you know. She nevertheless maintained her theater activities with the experimental theater at the Clark Settlement House. During this time, she also began studying music seriously and, w- and was eventually invited to join the prestigious Scola Cantorium, which sometimes performed at Carnegie Hall and the Metropolitan Opera House. Wow. Though the end of the, uh, through the end of 1931, she was intent upon making a career for herself in music or theater. So she was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to Broadway, darling. I'm going to be a star. Give my regards to Broadway. And this is I feel like, like I am her. Yes, yeah. because this is 31, even though we're in the Depression, the, you know, Broadway is still Broad- hopping. Broadway is still hopping. Broadway is still like the, the, the entertainment business. It's still continues. hopping. And she's right there. Yeah. She's right there. She's just a Lower East Side girl. Uh, now, radical politics, although was so radical politics, although widespread and eagerly embraced by Jews in New York City, they were not part of the Green Glass family's world. Okay. For context, in the uh, nineteen in the early nineteen thirties, many American radicals still viewed Stalinist Russia as a noble and successful attempt to improve government. Right. They didn't really know what it meant, though. Right. Yeah. They were Jew- just like, yeah, everyone eats. That yeah, everyone nice. eats. That sounds great. Especially yeah. we're I'm, in the depression. I'm hungry, so yeah. that sounds good to me. We're totally right. in the and we're in the depression. Right. Jewish dis- disillusionment would come only with the signing of the Robert, uh, Ribbentrop Molotov Pact in nineteen thirty nine. And with the news of the Stalinist anti-Semitic purges, yeah, Ethel's we changed in- our minds yeah. right quick. Ethel's introduction to these ideas began with her first job at the National New York Packing and Shipping Company, where she worked for three and a half years as a okay. secretary. Here, she was introduced for the first time to non-Jewish people, underpaid and exploited workers, union organizers, and active members of the Communist Party. Interesting. Also here, she found co-workers who shared her love of music and theater, with whom she spent her evenings and her days uh, filled with discussion of radical political philosophy. Okay. So these are young people. They're like, you know, we're hungry, but equality for all. Right. You know, because on the surface, that's what communism is. Equality for all. We all get to eat. The theory of Marxism and the actual Russia implementation of what they're... Awkward version of that was yeah. very not. I mean, that's the the fact is that Marxism doesn't work. I don't know what works. I don't. Think I don't know because capitalism, pure capitalism, does doesn't work quite either. work nope, either. Nope, so nope. I mean, uh, we all trying I'm to kidding. find out. I'm just saying, we we're, we're living that proof every day. Yeah, exactly. Nope. So, um, so she is like a young woman. She's starting her life. She really wants to be uh, an actor. She wants to be a performer. You know, and usually even now in the arts, you find you meet all kinds of people. Oh, yeah. You meet all kinds of people. And also in theater, it's a very uh, communal experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're all as cast members. 
It's an ensemble. You become a family. You become a family. Yeah. So, um, and and then at the same time, they're discussing radical political philosophy. You know, it's interesting because one of my favorite shows, I talk about it on here, I'm sure I've talked about it at least three times, I know uh, that I can remember, but this show called Endeavor. It's a prequel oh, yeah. to Inspector Morse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And recently in the new season. I still season, can't find it. It's not on Netflix. It's on uh, uh, Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yes, yeah, on Amazon. Uh, and PBS. It's on PBS. Yes, yeah, on PBS. Sold to the highest. So part. okay, um, that's where I first saw it. But there was this, one night I was like searching for it, and I and I couldn't yeah. easily text you because I do know your phone number, <laughs> but somehow couldn't manage to do it. You could have done that. I do. I do. It's but, in my uh, phone. It's under Levetta. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But it's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, when you realize you're like, I could just do that. Yeah, yeah no, um, it's been three weeks. I don't have to send a, a pigeon out no, to like because the pigeons were tired. So yeah. I was like, and I guess I can't find. But it. in the latest season of Endeavor, they actually talk about this because there's a um, a, a Soviet spy ring in supposedly had been in, that was at Oxford, and oh. it had been there since the 30s. And so the show is taking place in the 60s. So they're saying like, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but basically, because you're like, why would these British people, da, 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 and they recruited a lot of them during the depression because the depression was worldwide, right? Yeah. And the woman said, we went in there because they were giving away food. Right. We went into there yeah. and then they would just have us listen. It's kind of like what uh, Christians do now. Oh, you go to yeah, church, yeah. you can get free food. Yeah. And a soda. And you just have to listen. Just, wanna, just a little, little, little talk. A little music. Yeah. Little so music. when I was doing the research on this, I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So anyway, um, so she's like hanging out with her friends. They're, you know, they're young people. So Are they're you, passionate. Do you remember Landmark in New York? The theater? No. No. It was a whole thing. It was like a it was like a life 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 coaching but like Oh no. As a commune. Um No, communes if, if freak me out. If you're listening and you like love landmark, you can email us and tell me why I'm wrong. Listen, commune but, freaks me out cuz it sounds like it would be smelly. I mean, I And I have a very sensitive feel nose. Like it was a little smelly. Yeah. So, yeah, you do have sensitive nose. I have very sensitive. I have sensitive. Yeah. Uh human. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> So, no. Uh, opted out. So it was a commune. Like no one tried to convert you. Uh, no. Oh. No. Yeah, no. I have sucker paint in my forehead. So <laughs> no, you. I don't. had several people try to convert me, but I'm like, it's wrong. It says sucker, but no. it's not actually. So. They don't usually try and recruit black women because they assume that we're all like Southern and Baptist and you oh. know, Jehovah's Witnesses try and recruit they, me a lot. Yeah, yeah but because they assume that I'm religious. You know, they assume black women are religious. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, well, something think, like communes, no. Jews are somehow, because I was very like, look, everyone's got a point. I don't know. Yeah, you I'm know, the same way. Which I believe. I do I, think I totally that. believe that too. I just, you know, that that doesn't mean because I'm open that I'm going to then choose only your point and yeah. then change my mind about all the other points. It's not really how that works. Right. I'm open-minded enough to be not open-minded anymore. That's, that's but imagine thing. if you were hungry. I would do anything. You know, and I then you go hungry. there. And they're theater people. Right. Right? So this is what attracted her. I get that. Yeah. I would totally become communist. So she's if like 19. I was her at 19. 19, With 20. those like ideals. Yep. In theater. Because when you're 19, you have it all figured out. Well, I'd be so sold to those Russians. <laughs> I'd be like, Ruski. <laughs> Vodka. So, those are the Russian words I know. 
And also because he, see, we have to put it in context that, you know, the type of communism that they were preaching uh, were opposition to fascism, racism, right. anti-Semitism, support of unionism, and, you know, it was an idealized version it, of Soviet, yeah, of the Soviet experiment. And that's why yeah. the whole blacklist. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the whole Red Scare. Yep. Was so horrible. Yeah. Because the people that were destroyed yeah. were not people that were trying to destroy anything. Yeah, they no. were trying to make they it were not spies. better. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't. They and were actually just for civil rights, women's mm-hmm. rights, you know, uh, maybe a, a, you know, a, a different form of capitalism because pure anything doesn't seem to work. Pure anything um, doesn't work. It doesn't seem to work. So, um, so that's the context in which she's growing up. She's right. very young. Now, in August of 1935, the workers of the shipping clerks union called a general strike. Ethel was the only woman on the four-person strike committee. At the conclusion of the strike, she and the other leaders of the strike committee were fired. They appealed to the newly formed National Labor Relations Board and were uh, vindicated by the board for their union activities. Still hoping for a career in singing and theater, she focused her energies on entertaining at popular front activities. So she's like, um, you know, I'm, you want me to I'm do a little jig? I'm yeah. gonna live my life. She's like, this is perfect. I get to make a difference. I get to protest and I get to perform, darling. I mean, I'm ready. I perform. So these included uh, public demonstrations that supported relief for the needy, union organizations mm-hmm. and anti-fascist forces in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, right. Now, yeah. in December 1936, while singing for a Siemens Union benefit, Ethel was introduced to Julius Rosenberg. Oh, here we go. Julius Rosenberg, <laughs> also the son of immigrant parents, was an engineering student at City College. Because he's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> a hotbed for radical think, Jewish politics. I think engineering is genetic in the Jewish line. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> he, uh, so City College at the time was considered a hotbed for radical Jewish politics and, and um, communism and ardent communism. Okay. Uh, as a child growing up on the Lower East Side, he zealously embraced Judaism and wanted to study for the rabbinic... I'm looking at the word, the rabbinic. Rabbinic. Is that how it is? Okay, I didn't want to. To become a rabbi. Oh, okay. Uh, Shortly after meeting, the two began dating and soon married on June 18, 1939. Okay. They had two sons, Michael in 1943 and Robert in 1947. Now, during the early years. she took her time between babies. Yeah, she did. Yes, girl. But they got married in 39. Do what you got to do. Yes. (laughs) During the early years of their marriage, they lived in an apartment in the Knickerbocker village on the Lower East Side near family. Uh, yeah. Julius worked first as a civilian for the U.S. Signal, uh, Signal Corps and later for Emerson Radio and Phonographic Company. Okay. While he continued his communist activities, including recruitment of co-workers, Ethel committed herself wholeheartedly to raising their two children and abandoning all interests in politics and the theater. Really? I know that kind of broke my heart because honestly, if she had had a little bit of success on like Broadway or whatever, none of this would have happened because she would have been like, I'm a star. Like, like, she's like, that's my actual dream. That's my actual dream. But alas, with all many women, you fall in love, you get married and and that's, that's that's what you do. And also they were still on the not rich side at least. Exactly. And in those days, in those times to run a household, 
was a full time. Yes. You know, with now with a dishwasher and even yeah, like yeah. you just wash some dishes and you have a vacuum. But even now, cleaner. a lot of people got to work. Both people have to work. I mean, even that, it's easier to like, you don't have to do so much to keep yeah, the exactly. house. Even yeah. though I'm always overwhelmed in the places. Because laundry alone but took the forever. The way they did laundry, the oh way Lord. that they were able to clean things well, yeah. the way that they, I mean, it was just so much more work. Clothes, a lot of times the mother made the clothes. or, yep. or At the very least, like you, you didn't buy new socks, you darned the old yeah, socks. Yeah, that's right. You know, everything was... I was thinking about this, how like, you know, you hear, you know, old, old movies, like, don't you dare get that dress dirty. Don't mess with that. Yeah. Suit. Well, I'm just like, eh, I'll throw it in the washer. You know but what back I mean? then, no, it's like, don't get it dirty. It's because, done. Yeah. And we, you have one good suit. You, you have, have one, one good, good dress. Yep. So it's a very, I, I kind of get, so if you want any sort of enjoyment out of being yeah. a parent, it's hard to also yeah. do other it's just hard but if she hadn't gotten married and fallen in love but it made me kind of sad when i read that because i was like oh like she really wanted to be she did she had some an actor and like yeah so good jewish girl but oftentimes economic restrictions do prevent people from going into the arts oh you for know? sure so um so they settled into a traditional married life julius working to support the family and ethel concentrating on motherhood and being also, a dutiful wife if he was still very jewish that that yeah. that's still very yeah expected. yeah to a degree of the level of orthodoxy that you are. Yeah, and also, I mean, by all accounts, they were um, in love. Like, it was a good relationship. Well, that's good. That's good. uh, In 1940, Julius joined the Army Signal Corps Engineering Laboratories at Fort Mammoth, New Jersey, where he worked as an engineer inspector. Now, according to a 2001 book by his former handler, Alexander Fechter, Feklisov, I'm going to butcher all of these Russian names. I'm just, just get ready for it, okay? I'm so excited. Uh, Alexander Feklisov. <laughs> oh, that was uh, wrong, but yeah, it, yeah, Fleckly. It's fine. No, He's Fleckly like to me. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> Julius was originally recruited by the NKVD on Labor Day 1942 by former spy master Simon Semyonov. He had been introduced to Semyonov. Semyonov. Wow, she had to say it twice. I know, oh my God. By Bernard Schuster, a high-ranking member of the Communist Party USA. Okay. After Semyonov, I'm just saying Semyonov. I know that's not his name. Semyonov. Semyonov was recalled to Moscow in 1944. His duties were taken over by Feklisov. So Rosenberg, now according to this book. What you said, yeah. I know. Uh I'm I'm butchering this poor guy's name. It's okay. Uh, Now, according to this book, Rosenberg, Julius, provided thousands of classified reports from the Emerson radio, including a complete proximity fuse. Now, a proximity fuse detonates an explosive device automatically when the distance to the target becomes smaller than a predetermined value. Proximity fuses are designed for targets such as planes, missiles, ships at sea, and ground forces. Oh, dude. They provide a more sophisticated trigger mechanism than the common contact fuse or time fuse. Like, you know, the one where you light it and then like oh, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah. So, I've so, seen all those spy movies. Yeah, yeah the yeah. proximity fuse is more sophisticated okay. and more accurate, apparently. Okay. Uh, so under uh, Feklisov's administration, Julius recruited sympathetic individuals into the NKVD service, including Joel Barr, Alfred Sarant, William Pearl, and Morton Sobel. Pearl supplied Feklisov under Rosenberg's, under Julius's direction with thousands of documents from the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. 
including a complete set wow. of design and production drawings for Lockheed's P-80 Shooting Star, what? the first U.S. operational jet fighter. <gasps> Feklisov's learned through uh, Julius that Ethel's brother, David Greenglass, so one of her younger brothers, right. was working on the top-secret Manhattan Project oh my God. at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Yeah. He directed Julius to recruit his brother-in-law, David, in February 1944, Julius also succeeded in recruiting a second source of the Manhattan Project information. Engineer, now this is according to all the documents. Okay. Later on, Russell McNutt, who worked on designs for the plants at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Okay. For this coup, Julius received a $100 bonus. Now that's another thing people forget. Spies are paid. Yeah. Because remember that guy in the 90s? I forget, he was a Russian spy. And oh, I don't remember. I think they said they had paid him over like $200,000 or yeah. something like that. No, yeah, no, I mean, it's... They it's, do pay you. It's money. It's pride and desire to help out the cause, but it's also money. I mean, it's it's a job. It's a job, yeah. Like, I grew up with a very Israeli family, mm-hmm. so spies are a thing. Really? <laughs> spies are a total... Yeah. I remember my dad reading a book like the spy or something about spy and i always thought spies were like james bond like fake right, right? It's not like real no real. spies are definitely real but they're definitely real oh, yeah. and everybody has spies u.s has spies soviets have spies they're either like james yeah. bond or like uh benedict arnold you yeah know, like, like everybody has spies china has spies japan like everybody like, has apparently spies. like every country has spies yep. we know it and we're they know all it. spying on each other I All think, of us. I think I took a dance class with a Russian spy years ago. Why? Why do you think? You well, were we spying? were like buddies, like a bunch of us were buddies. And this one girl, was, she was like, yeah, I don't know why they're, well, they think I'm a spy. And I was like, that's crazy. And my other friend was like, I don't know that that's so crazy. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. I'll yeah. never, I, don't, I don't remember her a name. A good spy you we would never like, know. We were super close. Yeah. I, I don't remember her name. Oh. But, um. <laughs> But now, was her name uh, uh, Natasha? Was she? A- she was Natasha, and she always had her hair covering just one eye. <laughs> it was very interesting. You sure? Was she a spy or an actress? And she had very long legs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm thinking of a movie like, from the 50s. I think you're thinking of La Femme Nikita. <laughs> I am, actually. It's a good movie. <laughs> um, so, okay, so back to Julius's spying, right? So. Um, yeah, so he was paid a hundred dollar bonus for uh, recruiting Russell McNutt. Okay. Uh, now McNutt employment provided access to secrets about, about processes for manufacturing weapons grade uranium. Shit. The USSR. This is back to the future. Shit. Yeah. The USSR and the U.S. were allies during World War II. Yeah, they were. But the Americans did not share information about or seek assistance from the Soviet Union regarding the Manhattan Project. The West was shocked by the speed with which the Soviets were able to stage their first nuclear test, Joe One, on August 29, 1949. And a lot of people believe now that they were able to do yep. that because, and actually, and, and, and declassified information that they've released since then, like in more recent years. Yeah. Actually, a top Soviet official did say that they were about five years away, but because of the information that they got from the Rosenbergs, yeah whole spy ring holy shit they were able to cut off a year or 18 months okay so, so they were close so that's why the russians beat us <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. not who knows in february of 1950 klaus fuchs a german-born physicist who had worked on the manhattan project and was then residing in england was arrested 
Fuchs named his American courier, Raymond, Harold, Harry Gold, who in turn identified his unnamed contact in Albuquerque as a young, dark-haired machinist working in Los Alamos. This young machinist was David Greenglass, Ethel's younger brother. Mm. On, on June 15, 1950, David was arrested by the FBI for espionage and soon confessed to having passed secret information on to the USSR through Gold, his handler, I right. guess. David's wife, Ruth, was also implicated by Gold. Oh, shit. To ensure his wife's immunity from imprisonment, David led the FBI to his brother-in-law, Julius, oh. and those husband. Julius was arrested on June 16, 1950 on suspicion of espionage. And on uh, two days later, July, no, actually a month later, July 17, Ethel was arrested. Oh, oh. 1950. So he screwed his sister. Yeah, to save his wife. Yeah. Right? So. I can um, see my husband doing that. Yeah. And he loves his sister. Yeah. So Ethel, so on August 11th. But first he'd be like, no, let's not be spies. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. The shit hit the fan. So. Whoopsie. On August 11th, Ethel testified before a grand jury. She took the fifth. She took the fifth. She pleaded the fifth. Okay. Um, and answered to all questions. And as she left the courthouse, she was taken into custody by the FBI, uh, by FBI agents once again. Her attorney asked the U.S. commissioner to parole her in his custody over the weekend so that she could make arrangements for her two young children. The request was denied. Julius and really? Ethel were put, to, put under pressure to incriminate others involved in the spy ring. Neither offered any further information. On August 17th, the grand jury returned an indictment alleging 11 overt, uh, overt acts. Both Julius and Ethel were indicted, as were David and David, her brother, yeah. and Anatoly Yoklova. Yeah. The Russian guy. Yeah. Russian yeah. Guy. yeah. 20 American uh, education people. Sorry, guys. Now, 20 senior government officials met secretly on February 8th, 1950, to discuss the Rosenberg case. Gordon Dean, the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, stated, quote, it looks as though Rosenberg is the kingpin, Julius, okay. is the kingpin of a very large ring. And if there's any way of breaking him by having the shadow of a death penalty over him, we want to do it, end quote. Shit. At a February 1951 meeting of the Joint Congressional Committee on Atomic Energy, U.S. Attorney Miles Lane stated, quote, the case is not strong against Mrs. Rosenberg, okay. however, but for the purpose of acting as a deterrent, I think it is very important that she be convicted too and given a stiff sentence, what, end quote. What a dick. To pressure Julius into right. saying something. Because they're dicks. Because now, at the time though, we didn't know this, but now we know it's well documented the government's case against Ethel was tenuous and recently decoded KGB documents confirmed yeah. that her role in espionage and the espionage network was negligible at best. Wow. Analysts of the case now agree that Ethel was arrested in order to force her husband to continue the chain of disclosures. Julius's refusal forced a government's hand and Ethel assumed her husband's posture of maintaining their innocence and refused to admit any knowledge of espionage activities. So oh. at the time we were like, oh my God, these people are spies. And they convicted her, even though they, they, sh they really should have let her off because they could never figure out what part was it, but they, by the evidence, they were like, she may have, she may have known at the very least she knew, but that's where it kind of ends. Yeah. 
she's been a dutiful wife. Yeah. So. Like, what's was this guy who like stole everyone's money, made off? Like, oh, made off. Made off's yeah. wife. Like, did she really not know anything? I, I mean, know. she probably knew something. And something was up. But she I probably mean. didn't care. Yeah, or like, but, but see, again, we have to put it in context. Back then in 1950s, you just sort of did what your husband said yeah. and you didn't ask too many questions. Right, you just... She's a theater girl. She, yeah, she's not... Yeah, she, and I think she really only, I think, this is my my opinion, yeah. that she only fell into this because she was in love. Yeah. She had so sympathy. Like, I'll help you yeah. because these people are hungry right. and it seems to me like this way of life is much better less people hungry yeah that's what i think yeah so, it sounds so like this it. trial is huge obviously people are freaking out right. uh the high profile case began in march 1951 in the district of the southern in, in the district court of the southern district of new york in manhattan to ensure that the trial would be uh delegitimized would not be delegitimized as an anti-semitic charade mm. all of the government's players judge irving kaufman and the prosecutors uh-huh. irving sable and Roy Cohn were Jewish. Yeah, they were. But Sable and Cohn would prove themselves to be loyal American Jews, oh, earning yeah. reputations. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah. It's, for, we're a mess. Yeah. We're all kinds of. Girl, you're not the only one. Uh, <laughs> res- reputations for successfully prosecuting communists because they wanted to show that they were American. Right. No, I mean, exactly. You know, they were like, loyal. People, a basic Amer- I don't know who, who thinks this. I think everyone thinks that the yeah. other, anyone you're not yeah. is like not complicated. Yeah. All Latinos will vote this way. All yeah, black yeah, people yeah. will vote this yeah. way. But us Jews are, no, everyone's yeah, they're so like, all over the place. They, uh, Sable and Cohen are like, oh, uh, that ain't got nothing to do with us. Um, okay. I'm uh, American. Okay. <laughs> My wife lights candles, maybe. Yeah. But of the, God bless America is what I have to say. Yeah. So now all the, all the, the, the lawyers and the judge were all Jewish. Of the 12 randomly quote unquote, randomly selected jurors. However, not one was Jewish. I find that very suspect. I'm just saying. I'm with you on the suspect. That's kind of suspect. Because you're supposed to be convicted by a jury of your your peers. peers. So yeah, not one Jewish person. They couldn't find America. You got to get like two. But you got three. You got two lawyers and a judge. Right. You can't find no no, regular Jewish people. The person who's going to like decide your fate. I'm just saying. That sounds a little suspect. I mean, and also like, by the way, anti-Semitism is real. Oh yeah, it definitely is real. it was even more real back then. Yes. Which is why the judge and the two lawyers fell in line. So... Um, David, her brother, the government's key witness, did not hesitate to present very damaging testimony concerning his sister's role in the transfer of green glasses. Crude, yeah. So, young man, well, you get over here right now and you save your sister. Well, this is I'm what. Ready, I'm ready so, to so with the some shit of the that child, with some of the um, bitch, the research I did, David and his wife Ruth gave their testimony. They gave uh, evidence, right? Okay. But they were pressured, they said, by the prosecutors to tweak their um, their testimony their testimony to to make it seem that Ethel had more to do with okay everything. But she's your sister. So, but this is what they said they needed to do in order for Ruth to be safe. Oh, right. Fuck. So. America, so, a justice system. Well, I mean, right? That we can rely on yeah. to protect our citizens. Yeah. So he, that was sarcasm if you I didn't hear it. So he, because at first he said that, no, I only talk to Julius. Like, I mean, because they're men. That makes more sense to me. Right. The man talks you, to the man. Yeah. 
and um, that maybe his sister knew about it, but he never really talked to her about it. Okay. Originally, that's what right. he said. But on the stand, it tweaked a little. Fucker. Because the prosecutors were trying to tie in order They're to pressure fuckers. Julius. I'm right. I'm saying fucker to yeah. everybody. So, um, so Ethel, her, so when Ethel got on the stand, under cross-examination, she caused uh, damage to her own defense because she was very stoic. Now, in addition to her frequent invocations of the First Amendment, because she was very cool and stoic and dispassionate, some thought, responses to even her own brother's accusations, they were her. So her cool demeanor was interpreted as superciliousness and disdain for the proceedings. She should be crying because she doesn't understand what's going on. Her refusal to show emotion during the reading of the guilty verdict and the pronouncement of the death penalty only confirmed the belief of the government, press, and supporters of the verdict that she was a fanatical ideologue, emotionless, and devoid of womanly and maternal instincts. My God. She was accused of being more committed to communist, to communism than to her own children. Ethel Rosenberg's refusal to accommodate gender convention and dissolve into a hysterical or weeping victim suggested to many, including President Eisenhower well, and the FBI... You. Hoover, Director yeah, Hoover. He was so sweet. That she was, in fact, the domi- dominant force in the spy network. Holy fuck. They're stupid. Men are stupid. Jesus Cartoons Christ. and illustrations of the Rosenbergs often depicted the diminutive Ethel barely reaching five feet in height and her high heels as towering over her bespeckled, stoop-shouldered husband. But that's not what happened. No. And it also goes into the other stereotype of nebbish Jewish men. Oh, well, of course. Right? Yep. So I hope he has a really big nose. Yeah. Oh, God. Probably. And looks like a little bit like a mouse or yeah, a rat. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So that's really interesting, though, Everybody because... Everybody is definitely racist yeah. and anti-Semitic. Well, also because it's... See, it, it, it's so funny because I was talking to um, a friend of mine recently, and I was telling her, I was like, you know, I used to be teased with sounding, quote, unquote, like a white girl when I was coming up or whatever. And I was like, you know... I think I just sound like I actually sound very southern, and we can you attest sound, to you sound southern to on me. this like, uh, like podcast bit, yeah. that often I mispronounce many, many, many things. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think my voice is all over the place when I speak as well. But, but she was saying that she's like, yeah, if I just talked to you on the phone, I would think you were a white woman. And she's like, what does that say about me? My prejudice against how African Americans should sound. I think you sound like a black woman. And but see, this is what I told her. I was like, because in the media and press, it's it's we all are guilty of it. Even black people internalize these yeah. lessons that all black people sound like, well, I just don't know. Well, I, oh, I, I don't, oh, uh-uh, girl. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. That's the modern Ebonics like, version, I yeah, guess. Yeah, like most people sound like that. I think some people do. But, but if you are most so, like if I'm like at Starbucks online and the guy behind me is black, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think he's gonna sound like that. Like my brain You won't may not, think but that. a lot of people would. It could be that I've lived in so many diverse and you know a lot of for di- so right. long, right. so many two diversities for so long right. that it that's not and I had friends. Because you're like black, black people come in all ilks. And, like some sound southern, some sound like they're from New York. Yeah, like I it but there's there's definitely a black American ebonic sounding. It's just like it's like an airplane. Our favorite movie. Oh my god! I speak jive. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes ever. Um, I see it again. But what I'm saying is like with her because many people didn't have they had anti-Semitic 
feelings and sympathies that they probably were not aware of yeah, and the press yeah. did. So in painting them this way, because she would, she didn't say anything. She must be a cold hearted bitch mm. who's the mastermind behind everything. You know, those Jews. And the fact that she's barely five feet tall, they I have mean, her towering over her husband. She and I are the same human. You know, That's so I just find that very, very interesting that it comes out. It's just what we were talking about. Um, I was on Rebecca on Don't Wish Your yes. Pretty podcast uh, this listen. past week. Go listen. And we were talking about the whole like R. Kelly thing, right? Yeah. How we were all complicit because he was basically telling us yeah. with yeah. the first album with Aaliyah, that age ain't nothing but a number. He's telling us that he's yeah. having Im- improper relationships with an underage girl and, and puts we, it on the title cover. And we and we all listened to his stuff and we all kept listening to and his stuff. And we all thought, oh, that's weird. Yeah. But we were complicit because we just took it in without realizing what it was. Honestly, I was, you know, I, I was I'm very stupid. And I thought, oh, it doesn't matter if you're older. It's just a number. Like... Ah, that, that was, was the. I'm very stupid. No, like, that's I, what he was. That's what he was trying to get across. But the yeah. adults in the room, in the press, because when you look back, when we found out that he married Aaliyah, who was 15 at the time, uh, he was 27. Disgusting. The way they reported on it was, they didn't report it in a light that is a predator marrying a 15 year old. It's like uh, they were in love. They kind of re- they they kind of reported her as an over-sexualized being, even though she was very tomboyish in the way she was presented. They always do it. But like, so, and similarly with uh, this whole sort of like subtle or not so subtle anti-Semitic slant on even just the illustrations of presenting her in this way, right? And also she's the woman, so it must be her fault, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he's just trying to work for his family. What is she? She must be bored at home. I know, right? She should know her place. She should know her place. You know. So on March, so she basically took, she took the cue from him. Right. They both got on the stand. It was like, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. We're not giving up anybody, right? On March 29th, 1951, the Rosenbergs were convicted of espionage. They were sentenced to death on April 5th by Judge Kaufman under the section of the Espionage Act of 1917. You know what's sad? Julius would be president right now instead. I mean, <laughs> he could be in the White Ooh, House. Oh, the shade, girl. The shade. Because you know they'd be friends. And eating Big Macs. Um, mm-hmm. With French fries. Because uh, he sprung for the extra. <laughs> so the, the Espionage Act of 1917 uh, prohibits transmitting or attempting to transmit to a foreign government information, quote, relating to the national defense. Can you quote. just say that again? The Espionage Act of 1917 uh-huh. prohibits transmitting or attempting to transmit to uh-huh. a, foreign government a foreign government information relating to the national defense. Relating to the national defense. So that that law is still it's still it's still in effect, right? They yes. didn't retract it no. at any point. Okay, no. I'm just curious. Just curious. I, I like you know no laws, government history. <laughs> Now, Prosecutor Roy Cohn would play a major role assisting Joseph McCarthy oh. with his hearings as his chief counsel. He was later so claimed, pretty. Yeah. That McCarthy. Oh, yeah. He was just. We're referring to the, the whole Red Scare of the 1950s. He and, was yeah. a dick, you guys. Yeah, he was like, a big dick. he was a super dick. And he knew these people weren't guilty. So, yeah, he did. Uh, but he later claimed that his influence led both to Kaufman and, and uh, Sable being appointed to the case and that Kaufman imposed the death penalty based on Cohn's personal recommendation. Cohn was a fucking 
bastard. Well, he wants to prove that he's loyal, right? Okay. He's a good American. Yeah. Stop so committing murder, because that's murder. But you know, that's it's murder. interesting, though, the Korean War was around this time, yeah. right? So in imposing the death penalty, Kaufman noted that he held the Rosenbergs responsible not only for espionage, but also for the deaths in the Korean War. Quote, what? I consider your crime worse than murder. I believe your conduct in putting into the hands of the Russians the A-bomb years before our best scientists predicted Russia would perfect, would perfect the bomb has already caused, in my opinion, the communist aggression in Korea, with the resultant casualties ex- uh, exceeding 50,000. And who knows but that millions more of innocent people may pay the price of your treason. Indeed, by your betrayal, you undoubtedly have altered the course of history to the disadvantage of our country. No one can say that we do not live in a constant state of tension. We have evidence of your treachery all around us every day in the civilian defense activities throughout the nation are aimed at preparing us for an atom bomb attack. Thus McCarthyism. In, in yeah. quote. So he's basically saying that because of this information, it, it led to the communist aggression on the Korean okay, Peninsula. Okay, but that's, so, that's definitely an assumption. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So That's... that's yeah. That's... But I just wanted to put that in there for... That's correlation, not causation. Yeah. So, well, I'm just... Oh, God, is that... I Forgive me if it's doing that weird thing again. I'm almost done. So the <laughs> Rosenbergs moved to Sing Sing to await appeals. So there's a lot of... There's a lot to unpack here, but... Basically, they they thought that uh, so they appealed right away, right? And they were moved to Sing Sing in the meantime. Okay. Now, um, so their lawyers went to work on trying to get an appeal case, and and also even though there are a lot of people who were against them, like kill them, hang them, treason, da da da. Right. There were also people who. Um, so there are people, the established Jewish community fearing that an association with Jewish radicalism might incite anti-Semitic backlash rejected the charge. So Jewish yeah. leaders and intellectuals. So a lot of people are like, this has got an anti-Semitic right. tinge to it. Other people are like, no, because they were afraid of anti-Semitic backlash. Right. So there they're, were both they're sides. Both right. They're both right. They're both right. So there were sides. There were people who were saying this is a travesty. They were railroaded, particularly because Ethel really... People were like, she didn't really do anything. It's Julius. Right, like, exactly. Like, let her off. Yeah. Let her take her children. So they were, so this back and forth, like both factions, her people, their people were trying to get uh, uh, an appeal. Right. They were trying to get it to the Supreme Court. They were in jail, sing, sing the whole time. And then people who were like, this is an anti, anti-Semitic um, uh, witch hunt. Yeah. Um, they were on the other side. And because of that... There were there were a lot of supporters who were like, eh, this may not be as copacetic as we think or cut and dry as we yeah. think, right? Uh, massive rallies in Times Square, petitions, letters, marches, and last-minute appeal to President Eisenhower by Michael Rosenberg could not forestall the government's haste to execute the Rosenbergs. Damn. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were executed shortly after 8 p.m. on Friday, June 18, 1953. Oh, man. Julius was executed first. He died after the first electric shock. Ethel's execution did not go so smoothly. Oh, God. After she was given the normal course of of three electric shocks, attendants removed the strapping and other equipment only to have doctors determine that her heart was still beating. Fuck. Two more electric shocks were applied. But like her husband, 
Ethel died quietly with dignity and to her last breath maintained her innocence and love for her children. The funeral services were held in Brooklyn on June 21st. Ethel and Julius Rosenberg were buried at Wellwood Cemetery, a Jewish cemetery in Pine Lawn, New York. The Times reported that 500 people attended, while some 10,000 stood out, stood outside. Wow. The Rosenbergs were only the were the only two American civilians to be executed for espionage-related activity during the Cold War. Deputy Attorney General of the U.S. William P. Rogers, when later asked about the death sentence imposed on Ethel in an effort to extract a full confession from Julius, okay. reportedly said, quote, she called our bluff, end quote. Ethel Rosenberg's Jewish identity wow. was forged not only by her childhood ties to traditional Judaism, but by her political radicalism. As was common with Jewish radicals, the abandonment of religious belief and affiliation was a necessary step in the assumption of a transcendent universalist ideology. The prison letters yes. Rosenberg have, wrote yes, that uh, the, the prison letters that she wrote suggest that while she had an adequate understanding and appreciation of Jewish values and customs, she first and foremost saw herself as a martyr for political oppression. Few legal cases in the U and U.S. history have raised as many questions as the Rosenbergs. Regardless of questions concerning the guilt or innocence of the accused, legal scholars now agree that some of the actions on the part of government players, from ex parte discussions between Judge Kaufman and the prosecution to Chief Justice Vincent's politicizing of the final appeal, would today have seriously compromised the integrity of the government's case. And that's Ethel Rosenberg. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what happened to her children. Well, I, uh, okay, this is just, if you guys want to learn more, go and find yeah. out. Because it's just, I'm I just. Gonna, I'm going to Google some things. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. Her, their two children maintained that they were innocent. Like, yeah. Uh, and they were, they were not, they were adopted by a family friend, but no family members would come forth to adopt them. Really? Yeah. So they were adopted, and I forget the name that they were changed to. You know, to, that but... family was. I'm sorry, but I also think you remember both their parents fuck you up like that. Yeah. No, uh, uh. So there's a schism in that, and then mm -hmm. both sets of parents of Julius and uh, Ethel were immigrants, so they were just like we're Americans now. They probably were, like toe in the line. Oh no, you fight for your baby. I don't care yeah, how old they I, are. Um, listen. Mm. But their children were like, no, they were innocent, innocent. But then with the recent uh, declassifying of KGB documents, yes, they. But they still say, okay, well, you know, it looks like dad was, you know, dad, dad was really involved. So but everyone, even people who are like, yeah, Julius was a spy, say that Ethel, she probably at the most typed up stuff. She knew about it and she had sympathies for it, but she did not like go around spying no. and passing documents. She did not do that. That's what most people. She should not have gotten a death penalty. I'll be for real. Julius committed treason. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah. Do I believe in the death penalty for something like that? I absolutely do not. Well, it depends on who it is. I mean, <laughs> I know the better. Because we might have to make that decision I'm, soon. No, no. Um, so. I, know I want him to watch it go down. You know. But um, so yeah, that's, I mean, it's crazy. I, I've been wanting to do her for a while. So, but I wanted to have enough time to do the research and like. Yeah, she's fascinating. She's fascinating. I actually so. have not heard of her. I thought yeah. she sounded familiar. Yeah. Maybe I Rosenberg. sort of. And if she hadn't gotten married so young and met him there, she could have been like, maybe. Should have been like, this is a story about a Broadway star. If she had gotten one big role. Yeah. a Broadway show or she one would, big yeah. role in a movie, she would have been like, I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody right. got time for that. 
And she'd be like, Julius, what did you do? Like, she yeah. wouldn't have typed it up. She was on stage. I no, mean. she was on stage. She wouldn't have right. probably gotten married so young or whatever. Right. Who knows? But um, well, that wraps it up for another episode of Notorious Women Podcast. It did us. Guys, you can find us on, we're actually now on uh, Spotify. So you can find us on Spotify. Ooh, making it easy. Yes, you can find us on Google Play, of course, in the uh, iTunes store. So go and we need some more reviews. We like, do, we do. Go and like, just help us out. Review us five stars, five, five stars. stars, five stars. Five stars. Um, these stars. And, and Patreon. And uh, we also are... Um, want to do some big things. We have some big plans for the upcoming year. So if you guys can go and become a patron at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Notorious Women and help us out. Give us you know. a dollar, $20, uh, $5, $100. $100,000. I mean, you can give a one-time contribution. You don't well, always have to be. Usually you give us $1 million like right away. Hey, that, listen. That's good. We're good with that. We're good with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also tweet at us and like us. At, on Twitter and Facebook at NotoriousWMPod. You can also send us an email at NotoriousWMPod at gmail.com. And you can always find us on Instagram at NotoriousWomenPodcast. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>